Welcome to Springboard Adventure University. My name is Albert Okran. Welcoming you on behalf of Team Springboard led by Comfort. This is your most inspirational show and the point of convergence for the greatest minds. The Adventure University is brought to you by the Springboard Roadshow Foundation in partnership with the Multimedia Group and proudly sponsored by MTN Pulse, UMB Bank, the Enterprise Group with support from the graphic business bookmark page 18 of the graphic business in advance for a full transcript of today's interview and you will be inspired by the contents so for weeks now we've been traveling into the engine room with frontliners from various fields trying to find out the what the why the where the big decisions of their lives the disappointments the fear the pain what you will not find in any newspaper article or any website and it's been an exciting journey today sadly we bring the engine room to a climax with somebody you would love to hear again and again and again but before that visit my youtube page albert okran and check out all the previous editions i have in the studios the only man who combines the chairman and the general Kwame Sivakai. Kwame, good to see you. Good to see you, Albert, and thank you very much again. It's always, you know, inspiring to hang around you. One day we should chronicle the places we've been, the things we've done. You know, and the Kofodia, Tamale, Ho Ho, um, and other places that we, you know, the little pet talks we've had here. You know, we should. It will be interesting. I think, so. I think so, and especially some of the off-the-camera encounters with young people, the questions they ask, yeah. what they try to see and, and do. How, how important are some of these mentoring interventions that, that create platforms for young people, emerging leaders to meet people who are doing it in various fields? How important is it? It is, Albert. Um, you know, some of us did not get that kind of mentorship. We did not get role models to sit us down. Most of the time, our role models were people we saw from afar. And so we just simply admired them and wanted to be like them from very far off. We didn't hear them speak to us. We didn't understand their story. We didn't get to hear about their journey. We didn't know about their successes, their failures, the turning points, the decisions they had to make and why they made some of the decisions, their regrets. We didn't get to ask them if they were faced with the reason why they probably took that decision years ago. Would they take it again? So most of us of my generation, and probably much younger, and obviously older than I am, may not have gotten that direct contact with people we admired or people we aspired to be like or people who inspired us. And so if we can spend time with much younger people or simply people who admire us, or who want to hear our story, or who want to be inspired, I believe we should not let them down. It is something that we should strive to make time to, you know, do. You never know what your story will do for somebody. Right. Someone probably just needs that little small window of advice, or that small window that will say, come on, you're not facing anything, I've been through worse. And that alone sparks them up and says, oh, then I can do it too. 
So mentoring young people or mentoring much younger people is extremely important because you may have gotten into a position where they see you as, oh, it happened overnight. But they should know that it did not happen overnight. You should serve as a bulwark of sorts and, as you say, a springboard yeah, for them to say, okay, let me, you know, there's this little Israel, let me tap into your blessings okay. and, uh, you know, move on beyond that. So it's extremely important. You mentioned looking up to people and not getting access to them. I'm curious, who are your, who did you dig for when you agree? Oh, many, many, <laughs> many, 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 many people. You, you know, have a crash on somebody where you, some of them them. were people you, you get to meet later on in life. And, I mean, I was always fascinated by somebody like Sir Sam Jonah. And one of the reasons was, every time he hears, oh, at 36, he was a managing director of then, you know, Ashanti Gold. And you're wondering, how did he do it? You know, and in my own field of endeavor, of course, Kweku Sechado killed me every time. And what, what about him killed you? He's writing style. Right. You read Sechiado and you've read knowledge. You've read style. You've read a certain style of writing that sticks with you, you know. And of course the Grand Emperor Mike Egan, who we all thought was God on radio, you know, in those days. And of course, others also came along, the Tommy Annan Forces, the Charlie Sams, the George Crabs, and the rest of them. So, in my field of endeavor, yes. Outside my field of endeavor, as I mentioned earlier, Sam Jonah, I was always fascinated by his story. But I only got to meet him several years later. And so, I did not get that mentorship that we were talking about earlier. In other fields of endeavor, you know, you've heard about other people and of course everybody loves Kofi Annan. I wish he was still alive, you know. He had done what no black man had ever done and has still not done. Do you feel sometimes that if you ever met those people and, and had a deeper conversation at the beginnings of your career, you would have done less trial and error? I don't think so. I rather think that I would have been in a position to tap into their knowledge and experience and blessings and if those trials came, even if you wanted to take a decision, you'd be like, is this similar to his? So to some extent, maybe I'd have done less trial and error, but I would have been better equipped, even if it was a trial and error period, something you were not sure about, you probably ask, well, he went through that too, how did he achieve it? And some of them may have told you, look, just put your head on the chopping board, you have two options. <laughs> the knife will either be blunt or it will be sharp. Both ways, you walk out with a lesson. Right. You know, so uh, maybe you do have help, yes. But so a reference point for decision making. I'm sorry? A reference point for your decision making. Oh, yes, making. for decision making. Let me pull you back to the beginnings. Mm -hmm. I look at anyone I see who's a giant in any field and ask you, growing up, did you ever think you would do this? No, I just wanted a job. <laughs> Tell me, what kind of job? Seriously. Okay, let me tell you this. I grew up in a military establishment, a military environment. I've said this quite often or several times. So, Now looking back, I think I was very subtly influenced by my mother. My mother was a broadcaster and it was very normal to turn the radio on and hear her voice. 
she used to present a program on GBC2 at the time called Latin American Rhythms and their listener's choice. So I kind of took it for granted that oh, that's my mother's voice, that's my mother at work. I probably didn't know that I was being influenced slowly. And I've told this story before when I was about 10 years old. There's a man I'm looking for. I pray he's alive and well. I just want to see him. His name is George Crabb. George Crabb was a big voice on GBC radio those days. And at age about 10, as far as my memory serves me, George Crabb put me on his lap in the studios of Radio 2. My mother took me to her workplace and asked me a few questions on air. And I, you know, I just spoke. <laughs> at age 10? Yes, about 10. I just, you know, it's like you walk into a studio. I've done it for other kids now. And it always, there's that deja vu I get every time I go into that thing. He just asked me, you know, it's typical your child goes to your workplace with you and someone says, hey, come here. Say hello to them. Say, say hello, yeah, and you just go there. You probably don't even understand the depth of what you're doing. You're just big deal, just talking. And sometimes I look back, I'm like, probably I was getting my first lessons with a microphone without realizing it. What, what did you ask him? I don't remember now. I won't. But there's a certain remembering, remembrance. There's a small window that keeps playing that back to me. You know, he had this very silky voice, which I thought was cool. And he asked me your name, you know, the usual when you're interviewing a child. I was about 10 anyway. So your name, how old are you, where do you go to school, the usual. I don't remember the specifics. But every time he plays back. And doing the microphone wasn't my preference. I grew up in a military establishment. My father was an army officer. A typical boy, normally your first hero is your dad, or your first role model is your father. If he's like me, you know, he's a responsible, upright kind of person. And for me, growing up, it was always military vehicles, starched clothes, well ironed, shiny shoes. Uh, once in a while, you get to see guns, you know, maybe not with him, but with the other soldiers around. And it was all macho and exciting for you. And as far as I was concerned, um, I was making a beeline into the military academy. I mean, for me, that was what I wanted to do. But my mother played a joke. That turned out to be who I am today. Or my mother played a trick, you know. So unfortunately, my father died when I was 19. And as, you know, went through sixth form, did my national service for the first time. I went to the northern part of Ghana, which is what I wanted to do. So I did my national service in a place then called Savulugu Nanton District. Now here Savulugu is separate, Nanton is separate. It's a bigger place now. I did my national service about 30 years ago, and so it was a small area. When I was returning in 1991, or thereabouts, as far as I was concerned, I was going straight to the military academy. That is what, all I wanted to do. And so my mother also had other ideas. And she definitely did not want me to do that. Why? Um, I think my father's death was um, still fresh. My father had been dead just two years. And I think also that she probably looked at me and said, you would have a better career in the public space as a journalist as a broadcaster, as a public speaker, as somebody on the stage, behind the microphones, 
in front of the cameras. She probably saw what I didn't see. Now, what actually... What, she, what's the trick? I was coming to that. <laughs> you know, I had a flair for writing. And I was a bit of a class clown. A talkative person also. And... I used to write all these short stories and, you know, create all kinds of scenarios and sometimes gather the kids and become a film producer, director and stage a play, you know, as kids. These were my strong points, you know, playing around, acting, talking. I was a talkative, still am. Then my mother is also a very staunch Christian and she insisted on morning devotions. And I come back from national service, 21 year old, hot headed, you know, the white I own the world, you know that feeling when you're that age. And she would just ask me very calmly, you know, there are other career opportunities, there's also education that you may want to look at. And um, you still like to write, why don't you continue writing? And for good or bad reason, I got a story published in the then Spectator. They had a short stories co uh, column. I'd written a fictitious uh, fiction short story. I still remember the title, Allergy Conspiracy. Allergy so, Conspiracy? Yes. About some allergy who had come to take my girl in. <laughs> oh, dear Lord. Was it based on the real life experience? Um, a bit of that, yes. Tell you, God forgive that allergy. <laughs> but there was no allergy in the picture. It was just my own creative juices at work. Okay. You know, there was a bit of truth in there. But it was just my creative juices at work getting to you know, exhale. And so my mom would be like, you know, my mom is a typical Ethiopian woman. And she'd be like, ain't you know, my mom would say, we need J, Kassa, Honing, Tachiro, ain't you, yes, the GIJ, be now, but Kwa, Nase, broadcasting, you man, put now there. I was like, David, 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 David. I'm going to go this way out today, you know. So I was hell bent on going that way. And as I mentioned, a very staunch Christian who insisted the morning devotion. And she was, you know, working on breaking me down slowly. You know her favorite closing verse that has remained with me till date. Tell me. She would say, the Ten Commandments were handed from God. And in the Ten Commandments, there's only one commandment with a promise. Wow. Honor, Honor thy father and mother, that their days on this earth may be long. And then she would say, whatever your parents say, pay a listening ear. It is, by, even by listening to your parents alone, is an honor. And then the moment she finishes that, then she will start. Well, you know, your father has just passed. You know, the man had been gone like two, three years old. Your father has just passed. Did she link your father's death with his military career? No. But she was but playing, she knew she was playing that for a boy, I had grown up in that environment. My father was my role model. He's the person I saw wearing military clothes and shoes and the cars and the guns. She knew that it had made an impression on me. But I think for some reason, she saw a bigger picture that I refused to see. Or she saw a different picture, let me put it that way, that I refused or was unable to see or maybe unwilling to see and so slowly she navigated you navigated a bit and then 
There's a gentleman called Alex Oferika Kerry who was a broadcaster. Oh, Alex, I know Alex too. Well. Yeah. We went together for a while. Yes, yeah, so Alex is like, yes, you went with Alex. Yes. yes. So actually, Alex held my hand and took me to GBC. At the time, it was with GBC. So Alex is like a younger, was like a younger colleague of my mother those days. My mother had retired and moved on. But Alex was still, you know, active, actively engaged. And then, so he took me to a woman called Janet Ousu, who had a theater group, and said, oh, this uh, I'm a brat of mine, little boy, uh, is interested in these things. So I got involved in acting. I got involved in drama and theater. And with Janet Ousu, then we had people like the late Mike Jordan Amate, uh, Edi Koko, Fred Amugi, Chris Chida probably passed through at a point, yes, you know. Yes, yes. Yes, to become a television actor, Naile Adefio. Uh, not, I can't remember everybody off the top of my head. And then as we were going through that, slowly, you know, I started enjoying the attention. You know, every Thursday on TV theater, every other Thursday you are on. And then you are getting all these uh, little, you know, there was no social media then, but it was big to be on television at the time. And so I started getting attention drawn to myself. And I guess I started enjoying it. And I said, okay, why not? Then, of course, I did Ultimate Paradise, which easily was the biggest television soap at the time. I had a chicken on the same series. Uh -huh. I spoke about Ultimate Paradise. Uh, yes. He mentioned you. <laughs> it was a, oh, he mentioned me on that. Of course. Uh, it was course. a big thing for me at the time. This was in 1994, you know. And so I became immersed in it. And then, because it was a general GBC environment, I also got interested in radio. And one person I always give credit, who I believe gave me my first radio lessons, proper microphone speaking, blah, 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 is the gentleman who's left broadcasting. His name is Echo Budumanuel. Oh, Buzé. Yeah. Wow. I was literally Buzé's follow back. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. We are and I have history from Hansen. He's a MOBA. Yes. Yes. So I was Buzer's follow back. Unbelievable. Yeah, I was his production assistant. And how did I become his production assistant? It was you know, I was always in the GBC environment and we had common friends. So Buzer looks at me when he said, Are you crying? Like your voice be nice, eh? Can 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 make I send you? So Buzé actually was the first person who sat me down in a production studio for radio and showed me a few of the tricks, helped me with how to speak into a microphone on radio, and then started giving me assignments. Because it was a youth-oriented program titled Leaders of Tomorrow. Right. Interesting. That's the title. Leaders of, For those who are radio buffs those days, you may remember that show, Leaders of Tomorrow. Buzé was a host. Right. And the head producer. So I became one of his production assistants. Myself, and surprise, surprise, Elankra. Shiki Shiki. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so, I, Buzé doesn't like me saying this, but Buzé really helped me to realize my potential in the beginning. And so we did Leaders of Tomorrow for a while. And um, it was through that I met Egbert Fibel. Yes. Today, the chief executive of Petroleum Commission. At the time, Egbert Fibel was the chief vanguard, Commonwealth University of Ghana, Ligon. And I had friends on Ligon campus, 
and because Leaders of Tomorrow is a youth-oriented program, you have to go to Legon. No, I was hanging with the Legon guys, you know, we had this joint called Hospitality. For those who remember, I'm sure, you know, uh, you know boys, boys aged maybe 20 to about 24, 5, you know, go and sit down, on bees, students and all of that. And so I became close to a few of them, including Egbert. Then one day I asked him, I'd like to interview you for my youth program. And he was like, no, no, he doesn't, he's not sure he wants to do it. So we started talking. Vandalism, the way it's seen on campus, the difference between the dictionary definition of being a vandal and what being a vandal on campus is, blah, blah. Then he got interested. And, you know, these commodities guys can be very excited. You know, you know what's Right. <laughs> 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 what it is. So you are a Oh, very much so. So I always say I'm an associate V-mate. Because I talk with them a lot. So I don't know if any v- any chief vandal had been on radio before Egbert. But if we don't have any, then I can comfortably say I was the first person put a chief vandal on radio. So I convinced Egbert. And I remember when I got to GBC and went to go on air. I had a production discussion with Echo Budman on my boss, Buzend. He wasn't game at all. So I tell you, these boys, they will come disturb people for a year with their talking and you're not too sure what they're going to say, blah, blah, blah. But I managed to convince him that oh, this guy is cool. I know he's a very sharp person, right. speaks very well and all. And he was a chief under. And to be a chief under, you understand what it means. He must have a following. He must have had people who bought into, you know, his whole philosophy and, philosophy and image and vision and all that. So eventually Egbert comes into the studio. And this is GBC of old. Was it live? We're talking. We're to- no, it was live. Saturday afternoon. So what time was it? About 4.30 or so. We record normally on Fridays, if, but a few of the things are done live. And of course you have a couple. The man is eagle eyes watching you. And so... We're going back and forth, we're talking about it, and then this is GBC of old, where standards were so high and tight. I mean, you dare not make a mistake. And then Egbert says, I always remember, we've had a laugh about this several times. And this is GBC 1994-95. And Egbert says, anyone who thinks that being a vandal from Commonwealth Hall is the same as the dictionary definition must be suffering a bout of intellectual masturbation. I'm sure your face just froze. <laughs> Jesus, what has this guy done? To use the, use the word masturbation. On the show. On, on GBC. On GBC. <laughs> you know what I'm thinking about? <laughs> Buzel's face. Buzel was calm. But in that calmness was like... Oh, yeah, that boy is for me and what's it? So he's catch up. He's gonna catch up. Buzel was very calm, very easy. But you could tell from his body language that Charlie was hot. And then everybody was like, eh? This is unheard of. Unheard of. Paria language. You don't use it here. I went on and then they were done. The entire commotion was glued. Yay, <laughs> So, went through that, the GBC for a while. No, I'm interested in the post. post I won't tell you the post. post. No, no, I won't tell you the post. Come on. No, Buzel, let me be honest. 
Buzel was upset yes, but he was very calm. Don't forget, Buzel was also quite a young person. But he was kind of a street, you know, professional street guy. And so he, he didn't rub it in. You know I'm asking you this thing. Mm. The the interplay between ratings, what will draw the crowd, and then also the borderline issues that are so big now uh, in broadcasting. And I'm just wondering, was it like that? Yes, has it been like that every time? Or these are issues that are big now that were not big those times? We always wanted, first of all, from the little I know, having been tutored by somebody like the Venerable Sam Yeboah, it was not about ratings. It was professionalism. And being professional brought you ratings automatically. Because, first of all, we didn't have social media where news wasn't sensationalized as it is today you have to check double check and cross check before you put anything out there but obviously now we're looking for uh the sensationalism of television or radio or social media and so we've gone probably to that point where that famous saying or that famous line that says sex sells. It looks like that is what we really are focused on. Instead of discussing subjects, we are looking at sensationalism. For us who studied or who worked in that environment, especially because I was much, much, much younger, so to a large extent it's rubbed off on me. It wasn't about sensationalism. No. It was it was almost a no no. This is not where you come and sensationalize an issue. When an issue is put on the table, it is discussed researched and so radio was to inform educate and entertain but you see start from inform educate and entertain but i look like it's the reverse it's educate 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 now it is entertain 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 but you ask yourself what is the stuff of the entertainment and so if you want to compare that era and today Obviously, two totally different areas. I mean, my mother listens to radio and she's like, Boy, did they want my sumo? And from the era she's coming from, you can understand her answer. It sounds like noise. And even for me, there are times I listen to radio and I think it's noisy. Even for you? Oh, yes. And so, Springboard of virtual okay. university. Okay. This is Kwame Sifakai saying that even for him, yeah. radio is sometimes noisy. We'll go for a brief break and say a big thank you to our sponsors, MTN Pulse, UMB Bank, the Enterprise Group. And when we come back from this break, let's go into the influence of Kumla Dumo. Why she? How did the family react to a broadcast journey? And by the way, when did he flash out the idea about the army? Please don't go away. Don't be left out. Download the MTN Pulse app from the App Store or Play Store to mash up all day, every day. You can also enjoy more mashup. Just buy the new Mega Bundle and get 3 gigabytes data, extra 400 megabytes for your social apps, and free MTN to MTN calls every Monday. So just go ahead. Feel the pulse on MTN Pulse. Just be. We're good together everywhere you go. From football fans. Go! To football star. 
at Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties so you're free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. UMB was established in 1972 as the premier bank for the corporate and private sector in Ghana. From our very beginning, as the only Ghanaian bank serving all categories of businesses, we set a standard for excellence and innovation over the past 45 years. We've built a financially healthy and strong bank, demonstrated our commitment to our customers and to growing businesses, and exhibited originality and innovation at every turn. At UMB, our focus is built around people, service, products, and technology. These are the key to our present success and our future triumphs. At UMB, we are poised to make a difference not only with our customers, but also in the banking industry. We invite you to share in our future. Our future starts now with you. From tabletop trader to supermarket owner. As Enterprise, we take care of life's uncertainties so you're free to make your dreams a reality. Dream big with us. Enterprise, your advantage. Welcome back to Springboard, your virtual university, and the conversation that I'm having with Kwame Sifakai as we go into the engine room, the, the final, the ultimate edition of the engine room with Kwame breaking down the story of his life. Very interesting components, but a big thank you to MTN Pulse, UMB Bank and the Enterprise Group for making this possible and of course the multimedia group and on Tuesday in the graphic business a full page with Kwame's smiling picture telling the story in print for your archives also available on Graphic Online and My Joy Online. Kwame. Yes, I would. Let's talk about the experience with Komla. Let's talk about how you ended up doing key broadcasting. <laughs> Ah, where do I start from? The experience with Komla, may he find rest. One of the greatest voices ever that will be difficult to replicate. Uh, he paid his dues. He took. He became an ambassador of Ghana on his own steam, simply because he was working on the international stage, and he shone. It's sad we lost him, and uh, may he find rest. Amen. You know, Komla was interestingly, Komla first became my fan, then he became my friend, then became my competitor, and then he became my friend again. <laughs> I remember the first time we met, we met at Joy FM. This must have been 97-ish or 8, thereabouts. I was with my then boss and friend, Kwekubwa Fajiman Pacheco, who's a lawyer in the States today. He left broadcasting long ago. And so Komla walks up to me. You know, he's always alive. Larger than life. Yeah, he's always alive. Hey, Charlie, you are the TV. Yeah, yeah. You know, and then we start talking. I'm like, hey, Charlie, you have heard your voice on doing the Mobitel traffic watch, blah, blah. And we just started talking. And so we became acquainted. I will not call him a good friend. We became acquainted. And so he lived his life, I lived mine. And then he took over the Super Morning Show, pushed it to heights that, you know, put the two of us in competition. And it was healthy. I believe that at a point, 
he just shot me out of the water because he he brought new life, energy, verve, excitement to it. And then he was going to leave for studies. So another gentleman who is an unsung hero of broadcasting, especially private broadcasting in Ghana, the late KK Dua mm. of Case Frequency. Mm. For those of us who remember, we did all our jingles there. Radio station jingles, product jingles for advertisers. And KK was, as they say, a brother man. So we used to go and hang out at his place at Asylum Down. And there are times you walk into case frequency, maybe come like they're doing a voiceover or some other person is there. And then you just sit out, you talk a bit. Sometimes you share ideas. You bring your jingle in, you bring your script in. And peer review, somebody looks at Charlie, Charlie, take this one, I'll put this one there. You know, so even though we're competitors, we're gracious enough to understand that, look, uh, the space is big enough for everybody to fit in. And so I remember when I was leaving Radio Gold, I was on the verge of leaving, you know, I was in that transitionary period. Then I meet Komla and Stan Dube, who I mean also moved on to do other things with President Mahama and all of that. Then Komla and Stan were like two peas in a pod. And so Komla was like, Charlie, what is this I'm hearing about you going to a key radio station? I say, hey, I'm actually almost done and I'm going to join Peace FM. I was like, what? You did Chris? How? <laughs> and I'm like, well, he loved the competition. No, he loved the competition. That was one. But two, he wanted me a joy. <laughs> oh, that makes sense. <laughs> so I remember sitting there, he, had just, he told me he was going to Harvard very soon. And he didn't think that. I belong to tree speaking broadcasting. I should come and join multimedia. So then there will be no competition on the other side. And then everybody will be here anyway. So it will be a stronger team here at Joy FM. And then when he was going to leave, it will be good for me to take over. And I said, yeah, but I don't want to take over from you. <laughs> I want to go and chart a new path. Were you sure of yourself? In the beginning, no, I wasn't. Honestly, I wasn't. It was. You know, moving from an English-speaking broadcast media to a tree-speaking broadcast media, let's be honest, at the time, we saw it as lowering standards. We didn't see tree-speaking broadcasting as sexy enough. It wasn't exciting and we didn't think that anything good could come out of it. And so, yes, I had my fears. But in that also, I had a certain... Charlie, let's go and try and turn this thing around and see how it will go. What about it facilitated you? I'm, I'm just, I'm a curious person. That's um, probably know by now. One, it was tree. What about tree? Local language. Everybody speaks it. All of us speak it anyway. And it was mass market. But it was like, gee, what if it doesn't work? Whose idea was it? Whose idea was it? It was my boss despite idea. He actually headhunted me. But did you know you could do tree? Looking back, I didn't think I would bring it this far. I knew, yes, I could speak tree. But to use as a means of broadcast, I wasn't too sure. But um, it was worth the try. And my bosses then goaded me on. Well, actually, you come in and do your style. As you go along, you'd, for want of a better you'd acclimatize. So, just come in. And then... 
my colleague Fifi Banson had already moved to uh, Peace FM. And I asked him once, I was like, oh, Charlie, go Fidua, go Fidua. You know how, you know how, Charlie, give it a shot. I said, okay. Then, you know, I had to think through it a bit. And don't forget, people forget that I did not start Kokoroko. I did not. Kokoroko was started by Nano Heninto. Right. He, he, left to be, with yeah, he later went to become a politician. But, you know, Nano Heninto's background is broadcasting and journalism. He taught it. He was a host those days of a talking point. And so, for him to have started it, it kind of like, okay, at least I have somebody I can look up to as a standard. You know, so Nano Heninto was there with Edward Fachi and Setchepoproboating, may he find rest. And so I walk in and I was the um, alternative host, if you like. So he freed up and now he needed to a bit. And I was given two days out of five. And so he gave him also time to. Don't forget, I know he needed to have time to. He was still doing his stuff on Legon campus. He was lecturing. And he was quite political at the time, too. And so I came in as a, a stopgap measure of sorts. Eventually, Nana left to join the MPP campaign in 2000, and then Kukuku became all mine. But he started it, and then I took it up, uh, dusted it, polished it, brushed it, and brought it to where it is today. And, and the rest is history. And the rest is history. So when I convinced Kamala, even though he wasn't convinced, you know, I managed to let him know that, look, I'm going to chart a new path for myself. It's going to be tough, but I'm going to try. If it doesn't work, I'll take you up on your offer. Oh, really? Oh! <laughs> and that interesting. He left for, you know, studies abroad, came back. Then after a while, he left finally for the BBC. And even then, he still said, Charlie, go, go take the show, go take the show, you know. And I said, by then, I'd also found my niche here. And I was, she was working for me. I had got into, into contact with people like Professor Kofi Ejekum, and I was beginning to enjoy my newfound space. And I realized that, um, you know, broadcasting in free wasn't that difficult after all. It was just a matter of being, applying yourself and be willing to study, be willing to study from people who know better than you. I remember the first day I heard Mununkum. I was like, eh? So what, you have to update your vocabulary? In of course. I remember two ways. The beginning, in the beginning, that fascinated me. Mununkum and Atorenchem. Hey, how do you spell Mununkum? <laughs> you know what Mununkum is? The clouds. It sounds like a technical word. <laughs> yeah, the clouds. The clouds. That's and then, and then the second one is Atorenchem. Atorenchem. And what, which one is that? Disaster. Catastrophe. Wow. And I found out, sadly, the full expression of Atorenchem. On May 9, 2001, hmm. the May 9 stadium, the stadium is just talking. Atorenchem Kesie in the CMM Ghana. And slowly I said, okay, there's a lot to learn around here. So it, it meant that anytime there was something that was not, the vocabulary was not familiar, you had to, even before the show, learn, yeah, learn the word. And you see, fortunately, <laughs> there were newscasters I could learn from. The venerable Mefia Kunedu, may she rest in peace. Search up for robotting, may he find rest. Then there were also my regular colleagues, Ajoy Ebueji, um, 
Schoolboy, Odea Sari, um, a few others who I can't easily recollect or recollect, you know. So it was good learning from them as you went along. And then you also improve your own vocabulary. And slowly, we're where we are today. When did you give up the army dream? Oh, the army dream, finally. you know, sentimentally, I still wish. <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 sentimentally. <laughs> sentimentally. You are retired, I know, sir. Unfortunately for me, I have quite a few friends in the army. And so there are times that, you know, I hang out with them at the mess once in a while. And I look at them like, Charlie, this could have been me, man. So sentimentally, yes. But truthfully, the dream died sometime in 19... That's about 96. When Radio Gold began. Radio Gold was my first full-time job. You know, the GBC days were all what they call a contract staff. We used to be called guest artists, you know. But my full-time, my first full-time job began '96 with Radio Gold, and I guess slowly the military dream tapered off. But a bit of me still held on to it. So that's the sentimentalism that I talk about. To think that I actually did a master's program in conflict, peace, and security. Wow. Yes, at the Kofi Annan International Peacekeeping Training Center. So the sentiments are still there. My love for defense, security, intelligence has always been latent. But I have learned, I've honed it a bit, and I'm keeping it. One day you never know. I may go back and do something with the armed forces. I can imagine that. Or with the security setup in general. It's interesting that you, you start with an interest in the less the more mundane things like the uniforms, the boots, the cars, the guns. Yes. And then as you go on, you look at more serious stuff exactly. like conflict resolution, peace, peace. and mediation and mediation, so on. security, intelligence. Let me stay on that line. Do you find that your broadcasting, your content, your focus now and the subjects that interest you have shifted from what they were 20 years ago? Oh, yes, a lot. I mean, 20 years ago, what will be some of the things we're more excited about? Don't forget our political landscape 20 years ago is not what it is today. Um, we were still to a large extent uh, a nascent democracy. We're going through we're, 20 years ago, we had just experienced our first democratically elected or changeover government, and so the issues that were on the front burner were a lot more heated, sensational than what it is today even though you still have the heat and the sensationalism because social media also has a whole leg of its own and some of our radio and television stations have also developed that sensational kind of uh, reportage or discussion and what have you today the issues I think are a lot more developmental oriented we are looking more at how as journalists, broadcasters media practitioners would give back. Well, that is how I see it today. Somebody may not. I am not the yardstick for anybody. I just hope that people will begin to look at the fact that we can use uh, mediums, various broadcast mediums, for to do a lot more societal good. And less of the um, bashing and bringing people down and sensationalism really should be lowered a bit more. I think so. 
Maybe if you told me that 25 years ago, I disagree with you. you not, not only has the environment changed, you yeah. have changed as a person. But of the green beard alone. Me I started off with a clean shave and then a goatee, which was very black. And now it's very gray. <laughs> Don't forget, I started off, if I had my GBC days, I was about what? 22 years old. I'm 51. It's been like 30 years. I started full time practice when I was 26, in fact, 25 going on 26. So that's a 25, 26 year full time journey. Naturally, you have seen a lot more than others have seen today. You have grown older, hopefully wiser. <laughs> As you say, growing older is uh, mandatory, <laughs> but growing wiser is uh, a <laughs> it's a choice. So naturally, uh, you've seen quite a few things that not everybody has Let seen. Let me explore this, this, this new, this more, for lack of a better word, more mature, more nuanced, mm-hmm. different perspective, Kwame. You take, took up a role not too long ago on the board of the National Petroleum Authority. Of course, yes. you divided opinions. But for you, at this stage, what's your focus as a person? Well, I... The I National accepted, Developmental Scheme. Yes, I accepted to be on the board of the NPA, primarily for board experience for corporate governance firsthand, to understand how state institutions are run. And whatever contribution I can give, of course I'm willing to give. I have come from a background of working in the public space for so long. I have been at the forefront of asking the questions, of offering solutions, of interviewing all kinds of people, of reading up, of researching, and so let me take my seat at the table and see what I can also contribute. But then also, whilst taking that seat at the table, I am now going to be faced firsthand with corporate governance in my country. Of course, you may want to look at the divided opinion. At the end of the day, when you work in the public space and you expect a 100% approval rating, <laughs> then you don't understand what you're doing. Definitely, there will be those who feel that you shouldn't be there. There are others who think that, yeah, let him go and get his fingers bent and let's see what lessons will come out of it. Others will also be like, um, whatever he has acquired over the years, doing what he does, let us see if it is that that knowledge can be brought on board and corporate governance in that small environment will be the grand beneficiary at the end of the day. So yes, I took it up. I have no regrets about it. I pray that I would, um, with a little knowledge I can, I would impart. And with what I can also learn at first hand, it will be a good learning experience for me. And save my country at the end of the day. Fast forward to the end of your tenure as board member, what would you consider success? That we've been able to sanitize the system that we've been able to contribute our quota just for the benefit of those who never bothered to ask what the rule was about and they were much more interested in <laughs> you, much more, you see that's why I said sensationalism so they were much more interested in hey the big post hey the political post hey you know those things will come and you have to live with it the moment you've thrown yourself out there into the public space um, as I mentioned earlier, I don't expect a 100% approval rating. So you're, 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 regula- you're in the regulatory... Yes, downstream regulatory framework mostly. 
you know, so we're dealing with oil marketing companies, with the bulk distribution companies, with the National Petroleum Authority itself, looking at the act that it operates under. Um, what are the nuances of this entire industry? And how can we, if there are any gray areas, make it a bit more of a black and white? We don't have all the answers. We have a very experienced board chairman, Joe Adoyobo. He's been there. He was there previously. He's been in the oil sector for a while. He's a businessman on his own steam. And uh, he's a fine grain. I would just presume from where I sit, even without all this information, that if any board wanted somebody who understood the media, communication with their publics, it definitely must be somebody who has seen it all and done it all. And so from where I sit, you are more than a thousand times qualified. Thank you for the endorsement. It um, is a proud one. Yes, did you hear I got an endorsement? Oh, please. <laughs> I, I, so you see, sometimes people don't understand that there's something you said, the public's communication, media, and how to even put your communication out there in a certain way that would get you, you need to carry people along. But sometimes, you know, we've become so polarized politically. I'll tell you what, mm. Mr. Covert did something on my show that I will never, ever forget. That's another fine That's a beautiful communication brain. She's, She's not just the brain. A brain, person, beauty, person, subai, everything. Attitude. And, unless you don't know Mr. And that's an adjustment. <laughs> And Esther is like, you know, she's seen it all. She knows it I all. Know. But she's still see her. She's, she's like a typical big sister. Yes. You know, she has that, the mannerisms and the airs of a big sister. But I'll tell you what. Yes. She said something about communication and why many ignore it to their most, their biggest peril because they assume anyone can do it. And she just brought up the fact that sometimes it takes the simplicity of understanding the stakeholders you are dealing with and having the right people to communicate with them. So anyone who underplays or underrates the importance of having a comms person in the decision-making matrix could have their fingers so, so badly bent. Let me just go back to add to what Esther says. You know, in the past, there was a PRO. Most PR people are never at the decision-making table. They are seen as go and trumpet what we have decided. And so they were seen as the gong gong beater, the um, you know, communicator. Uh, we've taken the decision. We, the smart brains, have taken the decision. Go and tell them this is what we want or this is how we are going to do it. And sometimes in those days, probably didn't have a good feedback mechanism. But today, the dynamics have changed. Now, that communications person is not the PRO of 50 years, 30 years, 20 years ago. That person now tells you that this decision you have taken, it will be so difficult to sell. So let's craft it this way. Let us bring these people on board, these people on board, or that person on board. Let us start from this angle for it to have acceptability. That communications person can then go in and say, okay, let us begin with the tanker drivers because they are the loudest. And then let's go and get their buy in. And as Esther says, it will be to your peril if you think that somebody with a background in communications is not needed in a decision-making environment. She, she tells a very fine story about 
there, there being a need to do some seismic measurements on the water. Where it was GMPC. Yes, and the fact that the guys wanted to bring in the Navy and do it, and God say, hey, take your time. That's why you She tried to explain to the guys, and they were like, listen, it will, it will waste time, and, and it's, it's very expensive if the fishermen come and disturb the process. Yeah. Because if they are next get entangled in the machines, it will be problematic. She says, relax. Yeah. She goes to the chief fishermen That's and the chiefs in the community and tells them, please, we'll be doing this thing in a, a couple of weeks' time. So start fishing in advance and yeah. storing the fish. And then she probably went and some schnapps. Exactly. And went to local field. Exactly. So you bought. And then explains to them, mm-hmm. and of course, the cost is far less than the Navy. <laughs> and explains to them why this is to their own benefit. She yeah. says, at the time of the exercise, the chief fishermen were the ones guarding the shore. As we have this conversation, I just want to bring home the fact that every profession matters. Yeah. And we don't only need the profs at the table making these decisions. We also need experts in various fields. And if, I, and if it's of any benefit to you, I'm just making this point that everyone matters in the big scheme of things. Yeah, I agree. We should have the breadth and the width to accommodate different skills as we build the nation. Kwame, let me tell you what I've learned from you in the engine room today. Ten big lessons. And for all of you who are big fans of the of the engine room series. This is the final edition. I'm sure we'll come back with the we'll come back again because the demand has been so so high. But Kwame has been telling us about ten things. One is mentoring, the fact that in his early days he didn't get access to the people he admired. Number two is about growing up watching his mother doing broadcasting and not wanting to do it at all and George Crabb putting him on his lap at age 10 and introducing him to radio and not even realizing the impact it had on his young mind. Number three is about the army, the love of his life growing up. He still loves it. And the fact that he so much wanted to do a military career and ended up at the time when he was just about to go into it, being navigated away by his mother in conspiracy with Alexei Furi Karikari, Janet Owusu, and a number of other conspirators who moved him away into the areas where he is now. Ultimate paradise, acting, and everything in between. And intensity theater. He also talked about radio, the fourth point, and about Eko Budimanuel's influence on the program Leaders of Tomorrow where he was taught the ropes in radio. The fifth is about professionalism versus rating. See, some Yabua drummed it into his head at the time that it was about being professional first, research, prepare, and then you educate, you inform, and you entertain. But he says it has been flipped sometimes with entertainment being the sole consideration several times in the media. Number six is about Komla. The person who was a fan became a friend, became a competitor, and then became a friend again. And he talked about the various dynamics of their relationship, including the time spent at KKDS, place, case frequency, and all that went on between them. And the fact that Kamala wanted him to play the role that he was playing at Joy. The seventh about tree broadcasting, something that looked scary at a point for him, but that represented an opportunity to try out something that he hadn't done before. And he ventured out with the help of many others and today he's been able to do it. The eighth point is about vocabulary. He says the nature of language is such that sometimes just for reporting on something in particular, you need to learn new words and new vocabularies. But he had several experts to support him and he learned from the best along the way. The ninth point is about the media focus. I mean, you say the, the world or our nation and the dynamics have changed over the years, but I submit that you yourself 
have changed as a person and you have a different focus and you see that the media must now be more developmental oriented as we seek to build our nation and the last point is about your board rule you say you went on to sharpen your corporate governance knowledge to take a seat at the table and contribute to things that you had been talking about and debating and you said this time you felt you should get involved and make a contribution so you have no regrets and at the end of the day you hope that you can make a difference in your role yeah. come in what can i see thanks for coming through the engine room well thanks for having me on the engine room i feel very honored that on the very last edition you decided that i should be here um 16 others have preceded me i'm sure they made an impact they made their mark and um i'm happy i made the 17th but also let me pay tribute to a man who recently passed and um Chrissy Singh to Bafo Boni. Mm. Most people know him as Babo. Mm. Babo was very instrumental in shaping my radio journey as well. He was my first boss at Radio Gold. And I was like a younger brother and a son to him as well. We had our ups and downs. But before he passed, we had it up, 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 up all through. And I am sure that if I mention my radio journey without acknowledging the role he played, uh, I'll be remiss and so may he find rest I'm sure that with his mustache probably looking down on this show and for those who know Babu very well he had a very famous phrase it is um, when the public space so I can't say it but he will say don't waste my I'm sure the rest of you who know him will know what exactly he would have said this has been the voice of Kwame Sivakai here in the engine room, the Thank final you. edition as we wrap up on what has been a beautiful series. I'm telling you, the one coming up next is even bigger than this and you want to stay tuned to the virtual university on behalf of Team Springboard led by Comfort. Let me say a big thank you to you, Kwame, for... Thank you. For saying I'm, I'm sure that we could have gone another one. I know, I know. We'll continue yes, after. Sure <laughs> thank All right, you. so my name is Albert Okran saying... Um, a big thank you to MTN Pulse, the Enterprise Group, UMB Bank, the Multimedia Group, and then also the Graphic Business. On Tuesday, get Kwame's article, read it, find it on my Joy Online, and find it also on the Graphic Online. Until we come your way again next week, my name is Albert Okran saying God bless you, God bless you, and God, God bless you. Bless you.